Welcome to the Business Radio Network. Enjoy Small Biz, Big Voices with Stephanie Rising. Hi, I'm Stephanie Rising, a business coach and author in beautiful Tucson, Arizona. Today, it's my pleasure to speak with John Jackson Moyer, president of the Tucson LGBT Chamber of Commerce. Our interview will conclude with a Proust lightning round, and our final segment will be Dear Coach, when I'll coach listeners through issues they've emailed in. Today, we're doing things a little differently. We are recording our show remotely, so thank you for bearing with any sound idiosyncrasies, like my dog, who hopefully will not be howling at birds during our interview. Also, we were going to have several members of the board join us today, but with remote constraints, we unfortunately could not include Stephanie Kidder and Vera Minot. However, it's my pleasure to welcome my esteemed guest, John Jackson Moyer, who is president of the Tucson LGBT Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber's mission is to promote the success and growth of the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and allied business community in Southern Arizona. The Chamber envisions economic and social equity for all Southern Arizonans, and it values economic empowerment, inclusion, community, equity, and intersectional diversity. Over the years, they have grown their mission to include advocacy, education, and increased visibility for LGBT business issues. In 2019, they launched the Tucson LGBT Chamber of Commerce Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to supporting the educational goals of LGBT people through scholarships, mentorships, and programming. Jax, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I touched very briefly on the Chamber's mission, but I'm curious about, you know, how has the Chamber evolved over time? Like, what has been and what is currently of central importance to the Chamber? Because it functions as both a, central, a, a social and business community. Yes, that is correct. And um, I do have a lot to say about this piece. Um, it's a big piece for me. So, um, I'd like to approach it kind of in a three-part response, or as our chamber vice president, Vera Mina, calls it, the three legs of the stool, if that's okay with you. Sure, please do. Um, so a big piece of the um, chamber historically and currently has been networking. Um, so having that central importance of having a sense of community, um, a level of like-mindedness, um, and support and advocacy for the LGBT business community and encouraging those business-to-business referrals within the community. Um, a big thing for us is providing value to members and not just assuming what is of value to them, but actually engaging in conversation with the membership to hear their needs and see what we can do to meet those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had you know, past phenomenal presidents um, who have really driven with this focus with the board of directors. Um, I was fortunate to join the board about two years ago and succeeded Leanne Wong as chamber president this past January. I was surprised when I joined the chamber as a member um, through my husband, who became a member with his restaurant, um, that my actual own employer had been a sponsor of the LGBT chamber for several years. And actually, my boss was a presenter at one of the breakfast meetings, yet I had zero idea that the chamber existed. Um, until I became a member. And so for me, when I became a board member, um, I was really focused on, okay, so we're making these networks or connections happen, but what's the visibility to the chamber? 
you know, was it on me that I had no idea that these significant pieces of my life were involved with the chamber or was there something bigger to tackle with that? Um, so moving forward, we are really um, excited to have our current team of the board because it's a good balance of legacy knowledge, people that have been either a chamber member or on the board in previous years and also some new blood. Um, so when we met back in January for our board retreat, um, we really have a strategic plan that's focused on the chamber's visibility um, through various community networks, you know, kind of brought in our scope a little bit to see what's out there and how we can partner with that. And then also have a strong voice for advocacy efforts. Um, we've set up several um, volunteer committees um, as a subset to the chamber board. And this allows us to focus on two sides of the chamber, which is engagement and culture. And these um, committees are a value add to our membership because our members can actually join as a volunteer on the committee and therefore their voice can be shared with the board. And so mm -hmm. we can focus on things like membership, sponsorship, um, branding, um, social events, as well as our advocacy efforts, um, which I call part two of the three stools of advocacy, which is a huge priority for us. Um, we've always historically advocated for LGBTQ plus business um, owners and the community. Um, but really broadening that to focus on and advocate for the humans who own or are employed um, by a business within our community and showing that through whether being an LGBTQ individual or an ally of the community that we do care and that we use our platform successfully to highlight legislative or societal challenges. Um, I know in years past, there's been back and forth conversation um, with the chamber as to whether we should take a definitive stand on political issues or a candidate. Mm -hmm. um, and, as a, and as a business league under um, a 501c6 classification, we actually can engage in lobbying efforts or endorsing a political candidate. And some may say by failing to employ lobbying or political tactics, we actually might be neglecting activities that would be helpful in carrying out our mission. Um, however, at our core is about inclusion, and so sometimes the assumption exists that if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, you align specifically with the Liberal Party, and granted this assumption might be backed up by data, um, we want to acknowledge in the chamber that there's all aspects of diversity representatives in our membership, whether it's political or religious or socioeconomic, and so our goal is to really bring credible and factual information to our membership. Um, through our advocacy channel and allow our members to make the choice on what action they want to take based on what we presented. And with advocacy and Tucson um, being a pro-LGBTQ plus community, um, we actually were the first Arizona city to pass a non-discrimination ordinance, which is huge, and we were followed by Phoenix and Tempe. That's um, right. Very exciting to have that on our record. And then also Human Rights Campaign, um, they have an annual uh, municipality equity or equality index scorecard, um, which has participated in several years. And for the past several years, Tucson has scored 100% um, on that. And that's looking at having non-discrimination laws in place, uh, municipality as an employer, municipal services, law enforcement, um, and leadership um, with LGBTQ equality represented and all that. Um, so that's very exciting to be in a community that already has that. And so just making sure that we're leveraging those opportunities um, to network and um, advocate, I think, are big pieces. Yeah, and I I, I knew that, that Tucson was uh, an LGBT-friendly community, but I did not know uh, that as a municipality we had taken things that, that far, that we rated that highly. That's 
fantastic to know. Very something big to have a pat on our back for that. And again, not just taking it for granted, but making sure that continues and broadens to whatever comes our way in the future is important. Um, the one piece on that um, scorecard that we actually can do better on is having uh, more conversations about inclusivity in the workplace. Um, and so that's a big part to us through, um, on the three um, stools of the leg, or legs of the stool, excuse me, um, is education. Um, so with us, you know, our programming, we have a monthly meeting each month where, yeah, members can come and network with each other. We can talk about advocacy efforts that are relevant to us. Um, but we also want to balance speakers um, that bring a bunch of diversity and content for our members. And so I know, and you probably can agree, that you take part in all these business functions and workshops each month. And the majority of them kind of follow the same formula when it comes to speakers, where I find that a lot of times that there's usually an intention to sell something after the presentation. Um, and for us, we really have an approach to programming that by, by inviting you in as a speaker, um, you're not there to sell, but you're there to inspire action. So we want people to tell us and share with us how they um, have, you know, fostered an environment where action can be outwardly within the community or internally within ourselves. Um, because at the end of the day, if we don't consistently work on ourselves as individuals, then our outwardly contributions probably won't have as big of an impact. Um, and Vera, who is in charge of our program and has a fabulous job with it over the past several years, um, she just wants to look at encouraging change within the community by looking within ourselves first and making sure that our chamber culture is on the right track um, and doing the right work so that growth and change is organic and so that the business community can see that, you know, we're doing something really awesome and what that could actually mean for their business and making sure that, you know, our values align. And so, Finding out opportunities to educate the public is big to us and just making sure that, you know, what drives us is making efforts to show our members and the community at large that inclusive business is good business. And I, I think that that last part of, of the three-legged stool, the education piece, is really critical and it, and it segues right into my next question for you. Because one of the things, I mean, I just joined the chamber last August. And one of the things that really appealed to me about the chamber is that it is very relationship oriented, which I appreciate. Uh, you know, there are a lot of large networking groups that wind up feeling like a business card swap. But I think because the chamber has this very strong sense of culture and community, it, it makes it very welcoming. But the one, the one thing that I think that ties in with the education piece, I am always asked if straight people are welcome at the chamber because I'll invite someone to join me as my guest for breakfast and come check it out for themselves. And there seems to be some confusion about the fact that the LGBT community really does welcome its allies. And so I was wondering if you could elaborate on what does it mean to be an ally? Yeah, sure thing. Um, well, we definitely are a community that is with opening arms and very social. Um, we'll actually be maybe surprised to hear that if more than 50% of our membership are actually straight allies with the chamber. Um, so it is interesting when people hear about us for the first time, be like, well, I'm not gay. 
It's like, well, you don't have to be. Do you think that inclusive business is good business? Do you care about general human rights? Awesome. Let's sign you up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which was which was my uh, assumption when I went into it. But even I was wondering, uh, right. like, I, I wonder if I will be welcome. And then I thought, well, that's silly. I mean, if 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 I support you as a community, why would you not want someone lending their voice to the conversation? But I, I think that people, um, they, they err a little too much on the side of caution and they're afraid to offend when really what they need to do is show up. Yeah, exactly. Showing up is huge. And I think that, um, once they take the step to show up and they do feel that welcoming presence and we get that feedback a lot from people, it's like, wow, this is actually a meeting I look forward to coming to because I actually have these relationships beyond a business deal. Um, and a lot of people, you know, they might come in and join the chamber knowing that usually our intention is to have those business business referrals, but they actually continue their membership, not because they're getting a tremendous amount of business necessarily, but because they have relationships. Yeah. Um, and with being an ally and what that means, um, you know, people say, you come across people to say, well, I have gay friends or my second cousin's a lesbian or you know, I know of a trans person or I was bisexual during my college days. And that really just isn't an adequate ticket to allyship. Um, you know, being ally, an ally to me means, you know, being equally kind, you know, accepting, being respectful to everybody. Um, it's being a straight voice to LGBTQ plus issues. So putting yourself out there to understand, okay, what are the issues? you know, what action needs to take place and how can I contribute that with my voice um, for my LGBTQ um, community. And just educating people, again, is huge. And just having that transparent, open conversation with straight folks on how, you know, their personal biases, which we all have, but whether they're intentional or unintentional, that can make or break a relationship with another human who is LGBTQ+. And so just having, fostering that conversation to where, You know, this is what, you know, our community is faced with, and this is how you can support us and um, show us some love. And that's really what allyship is. And I think when it comes specifically to the workplace, um, this is kind of a tricky area where, you know, there's a difference between tolerance and acceptance. And the goal Mm. isn't isn't tolerance. You know, not like I'm going to put up with this. You know, acceptance, on the other hand, is more of a, you know, warm-hearted approval or favor. So. You know, day to day, you know, with someone being quiet towards maybe an LGBTQ plus coworker, um, because you tolerate them, doesn't make them feel great or that they're comfortable in their workspace because, you know, they want people to hear about their lives. You know, how is your partner doing after they were under, you know, they were sick or under the weather recently? Or, you know, how was your anniversary? What did you guys do to celebrate your wedding anniversary? And just, you know, having those normal conversations, quote unquote, that people have with each other, just right. because someone is LGBTQ plus doesn't mean that you can't have those conversations. Um, and that, that is an important distinction, the, the tolerance versus acceptance, because it's something, I, as soon as you said that, I thought that that articulated very well um, situations that I've been in where I've sensed that, but... I, I couldn't really name what was going on. I mean, nobody was really saying anything that was inappropriate or mean, but it definitely was not acceptance. And uh, so that that is an important thing to to point out. And for people who 
I mean, maybe they came from family backgrounds that mm-hmm. um, were not very uh, supportive, uh, let alone um, tolerant. And they, they really, they genuinely don't know what to do. What, what suggestions do you have for people who are seeking ways to be an ally, but they, they feel awkward and, and maybe just grossly misinformed? Right. Um, so I work personally in an environment where the LGBTQ representation is very low in the percentage of our employee base. Um, and everybody is different, but at least what my approach has been um, is that, you know, with the majority of my coworkers being straight, is I don't make it seem weird in conversation about what's going on in my life with my husband. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if me and my husband bought a house, I'm just going to talk openly about my husband and my buying a house. And I think if you create normalcy to having those kind of interactions, whether people are directly involved with them or they're overhearing you having those conversations, um, I think that kind of creates an open space. Because, I mean, the perception could be at times where, um, you know, a straight person might perceive that you're closed off or that you're experiencing some kind of guard and you don't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. But I think by openly at least doing so, it creates that normalcy. And at least in my experience, the more normal I've been in those conversations and having that part of my life be shared and everything else, like everybody else does, by having a picture on my desk of my husband and I, that, you know, they actually might feel comfortable with me to start sparking questions of curiosity. Um, and it's actually, it, it ends up being quite a lighthearted conversation, I have found, because, you know, judgments are kind of put aside and you can just have that exchange of curiosity and answering questions. And I think that you would find that the more you put yourself out there to somebody that's LGBTQ+, that you'll actually find that they're willing to share the information with you or whatever curiosities you have because you're actually taking the time to listen to them. Yes, and that, and that's one thing that I've found, and I've, I, I mean, I'm striving to be a, a good ally, and anytime I'm having a conversation with somebody who feels reluctant, like they're almost paralyzed to just have a natural conversation with someone in the LGBT community, because more than anything, they're, they're afraid to offend. I mean, it's almost like they're on PC overdrive. And I just try and emphasize why uh, there's no need to feel paralyzed if you are a human being talking to another human being. Like that's, that's all this is about. You're married, they're married. You went on vacation with your family. They went on vacation with their family. You're not going to offend anyone by engaging with them and coming from a very authentic and caring place. Like you can't go wrong. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I'm like a human being. Exactly. And right. Like that's, that's the thing too is um, for myself, I'm not a big fan of labels, but I know that labels exist in our society because some people need them to understand and to consume. Um, And I know that there's significance in certain pieces, especially in the LGBTQ community that the label does matter in circumstances. But how I live my daily life is exactly that. Like, everybody's a human being. And so we might have similarities, we might have differences, but approaching it in a way that you're just talking to another human hopefully will help remove that, like, okay, well, what is the right thing to say? Or, you know, what pronouns do I use? Like, 
just I think the more people get caught up in their heads about how to approach it, the more likely they're probably going to have the misstep or have the comment that might come off as offensive. And it may not be their intention, but they just, they're just kind of in this place where it's like, what do I say? How do I interact? And I think that we're just putting in a little bit too much pressure on ourselves to make it, you know, perfect for whatever. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And now that said, um, I, you know, my next question, the, the beginning part of it uh, might be through the lens of my own um, privilege. So please correct mm-hmm. me if, if I'm wrong about this. It appears that a lot of progress has been made with regard to the inclusion and rights of gays. But it also appears that there's a lot of progress left to be made with respect to the inclusion and rights of transgender persons. So since this is a podcast about small business, I thought that we could explore that through the lens of work. Describe for us, what what does the transgender workforce face today? Yeah, so um, one thing I wanted to acknowledge with you is, you know, starting with talking about privilege, um, because I know that's something that does come up actually in the LGBTQ plus community a lot too. Um, for equality and inclusion of rights of gays, I would say that there have been definitely strides for inclusion of acknowledging like same-sex relationships or maybe having more of a societal environment that seems more accepting of an individual. But there definitely is a lot of work that has to be done for true equality. Um, Acknowledging your statement is coming from a perspective of privilege. You know, I too cannot speak 100% to the challenges that face transgender individuals um, and or people that are queer and of color because, you know, I'm a white, cisgendered gay male. And so what I can speak to is the need for us to encourage channels and platforms for those who are transgender or a queer person of color to have them educate and advocate based on their experiences. Um, to allow for acknowledgement of their challenges and acceptance of who they are as humans. Um, specifically with the transgender workforce, you know, I feel what they are facing are people who work on assumptions of their identity and their needs. Um, so people lacking an understanding and compassion for their actual experience. Um, it's my belief and guidance to not try to relate your personal identity challenges to someone where there is no commonality. So I'm a gay cisgendered male, but that doesn't mean I have an idea of what challenges a transgender individual has experienced. And so what I do know is I can have an ear and a heart um, for my transgender friends and support them in whatever way they vocalize is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's common for workplace policies to be missing um, inclusive and specific verbiage um, for transgender individuals. And so, you know, making sure that workplace policies, if they're saying that they're an inclusive workplace, making sure even down to the words written on paper that that is shown in the policies. Um, so making sure that is more represented, I think, is a challenge for transgender individuals. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you know, people are challenged with the new norm of using non-binary or gender queer pronouns beyond mm-hmm. the mainstream, like she, her, he, him, they, them. And that's kind of going back to our conversations about being an ally and having those conversations. Um, We had a panel last year about um, different experiences um, in the community, one of which um, we talked about the pronoun piece. And I think more people put emphasis on using the correct pronouns or misstepping with pronouns 
you know, if you just met someone and you mess up and you and you don't know the pronouns or he and then you say she, you know, don't make it into a big deal and don't apologize excessively. Like if they say no, you know, my pronouns are they them, then just say okay, understood, and like move forward with it. Um, okay. And so having that in the workplace too is something to where it's like don't create it into an issue. Just acknowledge once you hear it and then move forward with that. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically to pronouns in the workplace. Um, last year, I attended the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce's Leadership Conference, and I found a great resource in an individual uh, named Rhodes Perry, who's a transgender man um, and an author of Belonging at Work. Um, and he was talking, you know, for me, I work in HR, and so from you know, recruiting processes to workplace policies, you know, what are the simple pieces of verbiage that you can include that don't take a lot of effort, but having them present is a huge step forward um, to making sure specifically joint transgender individuals are being acknowledged in those aspects at their workplace. And I think also, too, what I took away with that is making sure that, you know, having a seat at the table is a common term in you know, business world. And so making sure that there is um, the ability for a transgender individual to voice um, what their experience is at the workplace and potentially what things could be changed and engaging in those perspectives. Because again, like I said, I might have assumptions about what someone's challenged with, but I can't necessarily address those things because if I'm not experiencing them, I don't know what's really going to be effective. And so going to this source, and just making sure that, you know, with the blend of, you know, transgender, LGBTQ+, and allies, just having that conversation um, about what it looks like so that way we can eliminate, you know, discrimination claims um, or just addressing specific genuine problems like healthcare, for example, that transgender individuals might experience. Hmm. That's good information. And I, one of the things, uh, another thing that I really appreciate about the, the chamber, um, in addition to it being so relationship oriented, is what I've been able to learn since I've joined it. And, yeah. uh, you know, at the, men- the monthly breakfast, the kinds of presentations that are put on and the information that is shared really opens my eyes to um what people are are struggling with, and it in particular, it's been very eye opening um, for transgender community members. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I really thank the the chamber for that education um, component of it. That that leg of the stool is very strong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huge, huge. Yes, uh, we're going to take just a quick break. This is Small Biz Big Voices, hosted by Stephanie Rising. I'm a small business coach on a mission to get business owners off their hamster wheel and empower them as authentic and influential leaders. My coaching program centers around the seven primal business needs. Today, I'm visiting with John Jackson Moyer, president of the Tucson LGBT Chamber of Commerce. Um, In a Forbes article that I came across last fall, they they were talking about the benefits of a diverse workforce, and they cited some really compelling reasons for why companies should actively seek out and promote diversity. And three that really resonated with me were 
diverse teams produce up to 19% more revenue. Uh, inclusive teams make better business decisions up to 87% of the time. And decisions made and executed by diverse teams delivered 60% better results. Now, you, you touched on this um, in our previous question, but for businesses that want to diversify their workforce, what can they do to set up their LGBT community or uh, employees for success? I think it's from a talent perspective, um, huge piece of my world um, with HR is that, you know, you want to really avoid assimilation. And so just bringing diversity of thought to a team, whether it's someone representing as LGBTQ or not, is going to move forward. And like those statistics we shared with Forbes, the diversity is going to have different perspectives on problem solving or product innovation. And so it's just natural that the more voices you bring to the table, then the better results you're probably going to see in the long run. Um, specifically for LGBTQ employees to be successful, um, creating a safe space and listening to what the employee has to say. So giving them a voice um, and making sure that they're heard, whether that can be through just verbal acknowledgement and listening, or if there's something actionable that they suggest, you know, take something, take some kind of action with that and then also follow up to let them know. Mm-hmm. Um, we keep saying education, but truly that was, that's what it is, you know, creating a culture of acceptance and living it and not just proclaiming that you have it. I know there's a lot of businesses who identify, you know, core values or cultural beliefs and it's like, okay, are they words or are we actually doing this every single day? And so hmm. I think creating, um, pieces like core values, you know, making sure that that diversity of thought is representative and making sure that you do have those voices at the table to create those if that's something a business wants to do. Um, and then advocacy training. So to teach and model what an inclusive workplace actually looks like and what it actually means. Um, and shameless plug, we actually, as a chamber, offer these types of trainings at no cost. Um, oh, that's business, great. To our business members. So, you know, reach out, leverage your resources that you know exist. And, you know, with us, our with that being one of our goals and our mission, um, there's no reason to, you know, leverage our partnership to bring us into the workplace and specifically give that training to your employees. I'm uh, making a note of that because I, I want to make sure when I publish the link to the show that that is something um, that I discuss and that I share with other people. Um, because, you know, here again, just like, having conversations and just trying to be a good ally, I think that there are a lot of companies, um, especially here in Tucson, who want to diversify their workforce, but they're afraid of making a mistake. I mean, you know, let's face it, whether it's whether it's the issues that we're discussing today or anything else, we live in a very litigious mm-hmm. society. And I right. think so many business owners are are afraid of doing something that is new or certainly, you know, new to them because they're afraid a misstep will cost them either financially or in public relations or what have you. And I, I do think that this is probably uh, far less uh, complicated and far less Mm -hmm. of a minefield than people think, but they're missing that education component. So it's, it's very good to know that the chamber offers that training for free. I, that, that is something else 
that yeah. I did not know. <laughs> this is a very illuminating interview, Jack. <laughs> I love it. I mean, and that's what I'm going back to with like the visibility of what the chamber has to offer. I mean, these are really the pieces that we want to put out there because we have a solid membership base that is all spectrums of the industry. So you have HR, you have legal, you know, you have these people who are willing to step up and provide these resources and whether it's specifically, you know, chamber board members or just chamber members, the majority of the time is that they're going to do it at no cost because of the relationship being there. And I think that's really what is important to take away from that. That's awesome. I, I'm definitely promoting that. Um, now, you mentioned earlier that you had gone to a, a conference that was sponsored by the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. And I checked out their website, and they cite that the LGBT community nationwide contributes over $1.7 trillion to the U.S. economy. Can you give us some examples of how our local LGBT community affects Tucson's economy. Well, I always joke and I always say gays like to spend money. So <laughs> there's one piece to it. <laughs> but um, it's really interesting because this is a data point that I've heard um, before with the contribution to the like, economy. Um, and data actually specifically to the Tucson area on this topic is very scarce. Um, it's always one of those questions where I ask like other very well ingrained people in the community, like, so like, where's this data source? Like, how can we start collecting this or is it being collected and where can we find it to actually speak to it? Um, and people high level, low level, all across the spectrum are just like, there's really nothing solid on this. So with that being said, um, whether it doesn't exist or it's not necessarily a hundred percent massage through to give us, um, crucial data, that's actually something um, the Chamber has talked about um, kind of as a project to start collecting and validating and sharing this type of information in the future. Um, because, you know, if our national partner is citing this um, data point, we want to be able to speak to it here locally. Um, so that's one piece. What I will say is there's definitely an agreement um, that, you know, our community typically is more conscious of shopping local and partnering with other chamber members because, again, we take that time to create those relationships with members. Um, so having the authentic conversations and then building that relationship basically is going to increase the consumerism specific to those businesses because you generally take advice and guidance of what service or who to reach out to um, because you know and trust them. So word of mouth, right? Um, mm-hmm. Always the biggest marketing thing. And at this point, I don't think Tucson um, has grown too big for its bridges, so that doesn't no longer support local. I know a lot of people here do care about local. Yeah. Um, it means of businesses, and we're definitely seeing that right now in our current environment. Um, you know, one small and powerful example that was shared with us um, was that, you know, Tucson's LGBT and sex positive communities actually crowdfunded a couple years ago to reopen. Uh, boutique um, that is STEM queer owned adult shop off of Fourth Avenue. And through this crowdfunding based on those communities, um, there was a, you know, acknowledgement that there was a service that was needed by this boutique and that a percentage of Tucson's population used it. And so if you're caring, the money actually exists in our community to build up those businesses that need the support. Um, so it's just really the anecdotal and the relationships and the local emphasis, I think, is what really adds or contributes to Tucson's economy. 
And it, if there are companies who out there who are listening who are LGBT owned or they are employing members of the community, should they be sharing that information with the the chamber to help you track numbers or are you still kind of wrapping your heads around how to go about amassing the data at this point? Yeah, we're still in the process of um, setting that up. It was something that we talked about in January um, of this year at a retreat. Um, and so we're just making sure that we have all the pieces into it to have this same process where, again, credible information is coming in and what does the validity of it look like and how do we communicate that out. Um, so more information to come with that once we have it ironed out. Um, but it's exciting because, again, I think that we're a crucial player in that piece. And to be able to speak to that would be amazing. It would be. And it'll be a good project. And um, obviously, I mean, it goes without saying if there's anything I can do to help and to put things out on the social media to please let me know. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, but my last question for you um, I like to ask guests if there's something about their particular business or industry that they wish people better understood. And so, you know, on behalf of the chamber, is there anything that you wish the public better understood about the LGBT community? Or, you know, is there any uh, proposed legislation that you would like people to have more awareness around? Yeah, um, I mean, I would say a couple things. Specifically, the chamber's um, existence. I want the people on community at large to hear that, again, you too can be a member even if you identify as straight. <laughs> So um, if you have a love for existence of other humans who are LGBTQ+, and have a strong belief that inclusive business is good business, you know, join the community to further enhance our economy, you know, representing all parts of the spectrum. Um, specifically to the LGBTQ plus community in Tucson, um, you know, there is an internal level of diversity that exists even between LGBTQ plus individuals. Um, so we do not all fit one mold. We have diversity of thought, and generally speaking, um, you know, we approach societal discord within the community um, in a more constructive manner that is solution-based. Um, we definitely live um, in a whole in a society where you know disagreements kind of go out of control, and you know, it's just kind of a very um, negative and hateful place at times. So I would say mm -hmm. within our community, we really try to focus on, you know, constructive and solution-based things. Um, we have big hearts and, you know, we consistently show how ingrained we are within Tucson you know, by showing up for nonprofits, you know, showing up for when Tucson's experiencing crisis and showing up in Tucson as a whole has a reason to celebrate. And so I think that's really important. Like we talked about earlier, just showing up is a big piece that is visibility and representation in the very small step. Um, as for legislation, you know, I don't have anything specific to discuss at this time. We have, you know, legislative related topics coming through the chamber with our advocacy committee. Um, so that can be found at our monthly meetings or through the newsletter or social media. Um, I know right now from our membership, we have a lot of outreach for legislation related to COVID-19. Um, and so I do want to say that the LGBT Chamber has partnered with Tucson Metro Chamber. And so I would refer individuals um, who are curious about any legislative impacts on this um, to go to our shared resource page, which is tucsonchamber.org slash COVID-19. Um, and really, at the end of it, I just 
hope that our community is doing the best to stay well and stay focused and stay connected during this time. And you know, if there's anything that the chamber can do or myself can do, just directly reach out. Um, if there is a need that's not being met, and we can see what we can do to make it better. Thank you. That is that is excellent information. And everyone can learn more about the Tucson LGBT Chamber of Commerce by going to TucsonLGBTChamber.org. We'll also have all of that information for you in today's show notes. So that concludes our interview. And now we are going to the Proust Lightning Round. Yeah. So the Proust Questionnaire was a parlor game made popular by the French essayist and novelist Marcel Proust. He believed that by answering 35 specific questions, an individual reveals their true nature. We're going to go through as many as we can in just a few minutes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Perfect happiness. Um, so I live by, you know, people say practice makes perfect, but I say practice makes permanent, which in my mind is perfect. So if I keep practicing, make something permanent in my life, and that equals happiness, then that's perfect happiness for me. Oh, nice. What do you consider your greatest achievement? The greatest achievement? Ooh. I think it's just... You know, having at a very early part in life, understanding the importance of diversity and different voices and making sure that I'm doing my best to support those that aren't exactly like me, to acknowledge and love them for who they are. Nice. What is your greatest extravagance? Extravagance? Ooh, my personality. Um, no, I would say from a you know, spending perspective, a lot of travel. Again, opening minds to different cultures and perspectives. I will invest a lot of money and extravagance into that. Yes, my uh, my husband would tell you that is my extravagance as well. (laughs) (laughs) He he knows. (laughs) He knows we have to carve out a bit in the budget for that. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your current state of mind? My current state of mind actually is hopeful. Um, I am. You know, I tend to be an optimist, and so I see the need and I hear the need of other people who are challenged, especially with our current um, environment. And so just staying hopeful definitely works me through the days that are challenging, but then hopefully will encourage other people to keep going. What is your most marked characteristic? My most marked characteristic? Mm, loyalty. Mm, nice. And lastly, if you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? I think it sounds really weird. Is water a thing? Cause sure. <laughs> um, it, it's an element. It counts. This sounds, you know, maybe very, you know, floofy, but I think water is so essential, obviously, for human beings and, you know, animals survive but I just think the fluidity of thing and just going with the flow is very symbolic and so if I could come back as water I would that that is uh probably the healthiest (laughs) attitude I mean especially in the midst of all of this I'm thinking fluidity and going with the flow I mean not an answer many people are giving right now so tip of the hat to you thank you thank you (laughs) Now, I'd love to have you chime in at the end of our last segment. Dear Coach gives our listeners the chance to have their emailed questions addressed. 
And today's Dear Coach is about the power of simply showing up. So small business owners pour themselves into their businesses. You know, we often start our companies for very personal reasons. And if we're lucky enough to beat the odds and stay open for more than a few years, our own name becomes linked to what we do, what we contribute, who we are to our community. And now coronavirus is greatly affecting how we usually get to express ourselves. Maybe the things that we've always done best, the services we've always had to offer, are the very things we temporarily cannot do. But that doesn't mean we can't show up for others. And maybe it even means that now we have a chance to show up for ourselves. So if you're having a bit of an identity crisis at the moment, here are some observations I'd like to share with you. First, clients are human beings who are in the same boat as yourself right now. And I'm emphasizing this because anyone in the service industry has had their fair share of psychological bruises from trying to reason with difficult people. But in crises like this one, people become much more cooperative and forgiving. Your clients know you've taken a hit with all of this. They understand and actually genuinely care that you're affected too. So just with that knowledge, you can take a deep breath. And then you can take one more deep breath. And now you can practice just showing up as a leader. Even if your business is temporarily closed or partially functioning, I'm confident you still have something valuable to offer your clients and community. Your presence alone is powerful and it is appreciated. So here's a story that I'm sure sounds familiar. I just met with a marketing company whose projects have all been put on hold for the next few months because clients are understandably being very conservative with their spending right now. My clients went from facing multiple deadlines to having little, if anything, to do. But they put a plan together for how they can still show up for their clients. They're launching a social media campaign around their favorite free platforms that business owners can use to maintain their brand awareness and gauge with their customers. This isn't an effort that they'll be paid for, but it is an opportunity to step up and lead their clients in a way that's consistent with their experience. In situations like this, When all is said and done, people will remember who showed up for them. Yes, it would be great to be making money right now. But if you are among the many whose sales pipeline is on hiatus at the moment, what you still have to share and how you still lead very much matters. Now, that's all on the business side. Personally, I hope you are taking good care of yourself. Believe me, I've had to tell myself the following repeatedly in the last few weeks. Entrepreneurs are usually in motion. We fix problems. We meet challenges. But at this unprecedented time, it's okay to just be in the moment. Give yourself some grace that this is one thing you cannot fix. Take care of yourself and your family. Use this chance to put some gas back in your tank. This time will pass. And when it does, we'll be able to draw from this downtime to energize our recovery ahead. Now, we have a couple of minutes left. Uh, Jax, how are you coping with all of this? And do you have any advice that you can offer fellow business owners right now? Mm-hmm. So a couple of things that I want to echo that you stated and that was beautifully said was breathing is huge. Um, 
just generally in life, I'm a big proponent of breathing. And I do a lot of coaching on public speaking. And I know that breathing is essential to, you know, calming the body and making sure that you're articulating yourself. And so keep on breathing and having those moments where you can just be disconnected and, you know, go through a flow. I do the power of four. So breathe in for four counts, hold for four counts, exhale for four counts. Mm-hmm. And that usually helps make it very centered. Um, know your purpose and practice your purpose. Um, so remind yourself, you know, it's a very kind of broad question, but like why you exist. And I think that's something that people, A, struggle with. So if you do struggle with it, reach out to resources that can help you coach through that. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's someone that comes naturally to you, just make sure that you're reminding that for yourself. So that way, again, you can contribute and be strong to other people who may be in a different place. Um, and just, you know, taking a step back and really reflecting and, uh, you know, and this current environment we're very much kind of forced to reflect yeah um and i'm looking at it as an opportunity for me to evaluate things that once normalcy starts to creep back up you know what is going to be normal for me then because i feel like this is actually going to be a good exercise on changing certain behaviors um Mm -hmm. And so I'm a very insightful person, and I just hope that people are taking the time to do some self-reflection, um, whether you know it's individually based or partner based or family based or work based, like whatever speaks to you the most and where you show a lot of your energy and what your value is. You know, take a moment to look at those um, pieces in life and figure out, you know, what can I do differently? What can I adjust? How can I enhance it? And take it a day at a time. That is great advice, and I, I was taking notes while you were speaking, and I'm going to make sure to incorporate um, some of that in the recap of our um, of our interview online. So thank you, Jax. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Yes, of course. That brings us to the end of today's episode. If you have a question or problem you'd like for us to talk about during our Dear Coach segment, please email me at stephanie at therisingeffect.com. I invite you to follow the show on our Small Biz Big Voices Facebook page, which includes show notes, announcements for upcoming shows, and links to podcasts that I personally listen to. My thanks to today's guest, John Jackson Moyer of the Tucson LGBT Chamber of Commerce, to my producer, Mark Bishop, and to you for joining us on Small Biz Big Voices. Stay safe and please be well.